morning, everyone. Hey, my name is Brian. I'm also one of the pastors here. I'd like to welcome you all here as well. Thanks for joining us in person. Thanks for joining us uh, online as we continue our series looking at one chapter, one chapter, Hebrews 11, just one chapter for eight weeks. Um, this story, the story that's found in this book, the Bible, uh, it's not about us. The unfolding of God's activity in history and in the universe, it's just, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's, it's about God. The problem is that when we make Christianity, when we make the Bible, when we make faith about me, about you, about us, what happens is we get crushed under the weight of it, and it makes you either judgmental and self-righteous, or it makes you full of shame. And, and full of uh, secrets and regrets. And both of those things either make you boring or it makes you bored and apathetic with life. And it, and it turns uh, both you and those all around us off of Jesus. So if you read the Bible, and as you go through the pages of the Bible and you read the stories, and, and you read it through a lens that you think it's all about you, it should come as no surprise that when you're doing your devotions and you get to the book of Leviticus and you're reading Leviticus and you go through seven verses and not a single thing there can be applied to your life, you go, man, the Bible is so boring. It's so awful. And, and see, I think God is saying, look, hey, if, if I got to put 20 chapters in Exodus about the size of a curtain, I'm going to do it because it's about me and it's about what I'm about. See, what is it about us that so quickly we turn everything about us or we kind of just zone out and, and check out a little bit? Um, what is it that makes us act like a bunch of kids? Children, have you ever met a child? You ever met a child? I mean, they're so narcissistic, right? They're so narcissistic, right to the core. It's all about me. Give me what I want and give it to me now or I'm out. And that's kind of the challenge of our human heart, isn't it? That's, that's the thing about the human heart. We are narcissistic to our core. It's all about us. Luther, Martin Luther uses a Latin term to describe this. He calls it homo incurvatus. It means humankind turned inward, humankind turned on themselves, and that's what we're about. We're all about us, and all through the stories that we read in this Bible about God, what God is doing, he's pointing to things and pointing to activities and saying, no, 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 you don't understand, you don't understand. This story is about me, it's about my character, it's about my love for you, and that's what this is about. Over and over and over, all the stories in scripture remind us that we need to make our lives about God, not about ourselves, because, and this is the key, when we mess up, when we fail and make mistakes, and we all will, we all will, but when we do that and our lives and our language are about God and not about ourselves, what it means is when people hear about mistakes, see mistakes, they don't walk away. They don't walk away from Christianity. They don't walk away from the church. They don't walk away from God when they see others in the church make mistakes. Instead, they realize, man, we're all the same. We're all just a bunch of stumbling, 
beggars walking around trying to ask another beggar where to get bread. And that for, what happens is instead of you always being the hero of your faith story, because it's about my faith and my testimony and my words and my belief and how I handle that and my solution and my strength and my righteousness. See, what happens is when we get caught in that cycle, there is a whole generation of people right now walking away from Christianity because we've made Christianity about Christians and not about Christ. And they look at the church and they go, it is full of a bunch of hypocrites. All they do is post how wonderful they are and then they fail and when they fail, they're right to say, bunch of hypocrites, I'm out. See, there was a study done just two years ago, right before the lockdown, about Christians and non-Christians. It's a comparison study. And they, they were looking at the activities of Christians and non-Christians in the last 30 days. And they asked a series of questions, yes-no questions. And, and they said, um, out of these yes-no questions, what have you done in the last 30 years of these items? And they found out that the ex- results were exactly the same. Exactly the same for Christians and non-Christians with these 10 activities. You ready for this? Number one, gambling. Exactly the same, last three, 30 days visiting pornographic websites, taking something that didn't belong to them, saying mean things behind someone's back, consulting a medium or a psychic. What? I I don't think I'd ever have to say this. Can I just say this? If you were a follower of Jesus, don't go see a psychic. Don't go do it. But there's a thing behind it. You know why that's happening? Somehow in our Western culture, we have gotten so absorbed with ourselves, so sense of this arrogant sense of entitlement, and and we do it with prayers. We ask God, God, is she the one that I'm supposed to marry? God, God, what job should I go for now? And it's like we treat our prayers like a visit to a psychic, like we think it's all about us. He's really busy right now. All he wants to say to you is, you know what? Treat her the way Jesus treated the church. See ya. That's all you need to know. And it's like he's not absorbed with every single detail of our lives. It's not about us. And so what happens is we don't get those answers to prayers. What they found is a lot of Christians, oh, they just go to the newspaper and they just look at the horoscopes. Uh, Jesus didn't give me an answer. Oh, okay, I'm a Pisces. See what happens? Because we think we deserve to know. The list goes on. Having physical fight or abusing someone, using illegal drugs, saying something to someone that's not true, getting back at someone for something they did, consuming enough alcohol to be considered legally drunk. No statistical difference between Christians and non-Christians in their activities in those 10 areas over the last 30 days, 30 days, except for one area. There was one area that was different between Christians and, and not Christians. Christians recycled less. <laughs> what a wonderful study. I'm so glad I stumbled on this. See, there's a generation of people who are lost right now because we have misunderstood the gospel and we thought we're supposed to talk about us. But that's not what this book's about. See, the story is about God. About God's righteousness, about God's faithfulness 
to a world in the midst of disobedience and doubt and confusion and loneliness. It's not about us. It's not about what we do and what we say and what we think. It's about God and who he is and what he says and what he does to show the world who he is. And that's how we need to read this next story in Hebrews 11. This next story in Hebrews 11 is all about that. We're doing this Facing Faithward series. We're studying one chapter, Hebrews 11, for eight weeks, one whole chapter. Today we're looking at one verse. We're stretching this out because I have no new ideas. And so (laughs) what's happening is we're doing this deep dive series, right? And we're trying to provide all kinds of ways for you to engage, for you to engage in these next uh, over these eight weeks in the book of Hebrews. There's daily devotions that you can look at. There's weekly discussion, reflection questions. There's a little pastor letter in the newsletter. We have an acts of kindness thing that's about to be launched. Uh, all this stuff is for you to engage more deeply with God and the message that I think he's giving us through this chapter. So a real quick reminder about where we're at. And I think I left the clicker. I did. Excuse me. Camera, I'll be right back. All right, let's get caught up a little bit here. So, quick reminder about what this is about. Hebrews chapter 11, if you're just joining us, a little bit of an overview real quick. It was written to some of the very first Christians who started off so strong, so excited, so on fire for Jesus, and then they're losing hope. They're just getting tired, tired of waiting. Jesus said he would come back. He said he would come back and make things better. He should have been here by now. Does he know what's even going on? Persecution is rising. All this Jesus stuff is getting us in trouble. The persecution is rising by the Romans. We're being ostracized by society. So the writer of Hebrews gives us this epic-filled chapter of, of Bible heroes who felt the exact same thing. So while it was written to these people, it was written about heroes who were struggling with all the same stuff. They started strong, they began losing hope, they got tired waiting for God to work, and they seriously thought about quitting. But they hung in there. And the story is about how they hung in there. Always in the dark, never getting all their questions answered, usually stumbling and bumbling and and failing along the way, but they got somewhere. And they saw God at work, and today is one of the classics. So today we're going to focus on how faith works when you hit the wall, when you absolutely hit the wall. We're looking at one verse from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30, and it goes like this. By faith, always starts off this way, right? By faith, the walls of Jericho Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. Now, the original readers of Hebrews, the original hearers of Hebrews would have begun, of course, yeah, good point, isn't that good point? Yeah, 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 good point. Because like, they're right in it, right? Because they're, they're Jewish Christians. Most of them came from Judaism. They know the story. They grew up with the story. And right away, they're like, that's a great point. But us, 2022? I think it's probably fair to say that most of us are a bit rusty on the detail about the whole Jericho thing. I think it's fair to say we're probably more focused on Johnny Depp and Amber Heard right now 
than we are about talking about the walls of Jericho, right? So let's just do a quick review. Amber Heard has just recently been caught out. I'm more <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Wrong review. Let me get back here. Okay. We're going to look at the book of Joshua today. All right? We're looking at the book of Joshua. Literally, they hit the wall in the book of Joshua. Um, AUT uh, has pointed out, AUT has done a study in the well-being at work study, and they're finding out that most of us in New Zealand are presently hitting a wall these days. They found that half as many people now are committed to sticking to their job than they were pre-COVID at the beginning of 2022, uh, sorry, at the beginning of 2020. Stuff, Stuff is reporting that the great resignation, which has been sweeping the globe, is now here in New Zealand. And they're saying it's real. It's very real. But it's also different, though. It's different from overseas. The biggest driver for people quitting in New Zealand right now is the lure of something new, the lure of something better, more pay or, or more personal development or more making a difference. And so what they're saying here is that the big quit, AUT study being reported by Stuff, is saying that the big quit here in New Zealand is about finding something else that will make good on its promises. People are not just quitting their jobs because of this. Sadly, people are quitting marriages. They're quitting church. They're quitting faith. They're quitting their friends. They're quitting life, literally quitting life because it's not as good as I was promised. It's not as good as I hoped for. It's just not working for me anymore. It's not giving me what I want. And the people in this story about the walls of Jericho, they can relate. They can relate. Last weekend, we talked about Moses, and we hear Moses tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And God delivers, right? He delivers on that promise. And he really does deliver them. And they take off. They cross the the Red Sea. And then they wander. Following that delivery, for 40 years, they just kind of wandered in a circle. See up at the top? Just wandered in a circle for 40 years. Mostly because it was their own fault. And they had to learn some lessons. And they messed up. And it was their own fault. But then they finally get started again going somewhere and getting somewhere. And they go up through the the desert going up towards Canaan, the promised land, right? They're heading up towards Canaan. But there's a problem. To get to the promised land, they have to get past Jericho. And Jericho was a problem. Jericho was a walled fortress city. Jericho was like right at the entrance to the land of Canaan. It was kind of like a castle guarding the passage into the promised land. And what happens is, over the next little bit of this story, we see how faith works when you hit an impasse. What faith works when you want to quit because you're facing in wall, a wall. Now, what I find so interesting about the story, about Jer- Jericho, before we get into it, is that in the entire narrative of Joshua, of the book of Joshua, and all the military conquests that happened, and it's a hard read. You read the book of Joshua, it is filled with very uncomfortable stories about war and violence and bloodshed. But out of all those stories in Joshua that would make a great movie, this is the only narrative that the writer of Hebrews picks up on. This is the only one he chooses out of all those stories. And it's as if he says that it's that one time, one time when the walls, when the problem, when the impasse, when the walls fell by faith and not by sword, not by human effort, 
not by strategic positioning. It fell by faith. Because the point for these early Christians who first heard this, uh, Hebrews, was, was, was who first heard this letter in the book of Hebrews, the whole point for them was don't take up arms. Don't fight the fight the way you think you're supposed to fight it. Don't fight the fight or the problem or the threat by yourself. The point for the early listeners of Hebrews was to have faith like the people who faced the walls of Jericho in this one specific interest, in, in, instance, this one verse. So if you like to, please turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 6 or pull out your phone and open up to Joshua chapter 6. And we're going to go through what happened at Jericho with those walls. So we're going to start at verses 1 through 6. And what we're going to look at, first of all, they're going to point out three main ways that faith works when you hit a wall. And the first one is this. Trust that God's victory is certain even when it seems like evil's winning. Even when it seems like evil's winning. Trust that God's victory is a sure deal, even when it is so obvious that evil is winning right now. And see the tension in that point? See the tension in that problem? That God's, you gotta trust God's victory even when everything is losing? It's like the tension that is presented in Joshua chapter six, verses one and two. Have a look at this, verse one. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out, and no one came in. The gates of Jericho were securely barred. Nice, simple sentence. Big lock, right? This is what they mean. This is the wall of Jericho. It was a fortress. Uh, In 1930, some archaeologists discovered the lost city of Jericho, and what they found is that Jericho had this super, super thick wall. The outer wall was seven meters tall. The inner wall was nine meters tall. And between that was like this ramp, an earth-filled ramp that sloped up from the outer wall up to the inner wall. It was like a pit. So if enemies somehow got over the first wall, they were stuck in this like moat. And it was like for the archers sitting on the top of that top wall, it was like shooting fish in a barrel. And you had no chance of, of uh, invading their city. So when the verse 1 talks about the gates of Jericho being barred, they're talking about this. They're talking about this kind of deal. There's a reason why the walls around the city were a thousand years old. They were absolutely unassailable. And with the technology of that time, no army could conquer it. No army could get into the city that way. Now look at the next verse, verse 2. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with this king and its fighting men. What? Seriously? The Lord says, See, Joshua, see. And Joshua looks up. When he looks up, he sees that. That's what he sees. A little bit of tension, right? And he's like, What? What? So look at verse 2 again. The Lord says, See, I have delivered Nothing's happened yet. The only thing that's happened is that they kind of freaked out a little bit when they showed up and saw what they had to deal with. See, God's speaking to them in past tense about a battle that Joshua has not even fought yet. And God does that all through the Bible, all through the Gospels. In the New Testament, he shows his love and his provision for us, and he talks about it in a past tense kind of way. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Timothy um, chapter 1, 
Christ Jesus has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. It says he has destroyed death. He's already done it. He doesn't say a trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised and Jesus Christ will one day destroy it. No, he says he's done it already. It's done now. He's destroyed death right now. Now think about that. We all have loved ones who have died. We, we have to remember that for those who have trusted Jesus, while we go through the grief and the pain of losing loved ones, their future resurrection, your future resurrection, it's already happened. There's a, a present tense reality from God's perspective and the way Jesus talks, the way God talks all through scriptures. See, God exists outside of time. Jesus Christ has destroyed death in your life, even though you haven't died yet, but it's already a done deal. Even though you haven't been resurrected yet, it's already a done deal. It comes all over the place. Romans talks about it. Uh, for those he predestined, he also called. For those he justified, uh, those he also called, he also justified. For those he justified, he also glorified. Now, I know I'm called by God, and I know I've been justified, but glorified? Even as an American, I don't think I'm glorified yet. <laughs> so, yet here, he talks about this in a past tense, right? Because from God's heavenly perspective, he speaks in past tense. He, he battles already what you're currently fighting. See, God speaks in past tense about your present tensions. That's how he deals with it. It's all a done deal. Now, please hear this. If you're going through a hard time right now, if you're thinking about quitting something or someone and you're hitting a wall and there's no way through this, what this verse means, what all these verses mean is that God knows your future and God has your future covered. He's already dealing to it. He's already done. Not only does he know about the trials that you're facing now, not only does he know about all the trials that you have already faced, he knows all about the trials that you're gonna face later down the road. And he knows that his grace is sufficient. He knows he's got a cover for you. He knows that you will be perfected into Christ-likeness. He knows you're going to be glorified. Now, does that mean that you won't have to go through tough times and it won't be as hard as you think? Of course not. Does it mean that he, might, he will give you details about your future to help keep you calm in the midst of it? Probably not. But what it means is you're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. Our families, our neighbors, our city are going to be okay. Because with God, there's a destiny, there's a future, there's a hope. And it's assured, it's promised. And then the story of Jericho highlights a second important truth about how faith works when you hit a wall. And that is, trust that God's instruction is wise even when it seems ridiculous. God's instruction is wise, even though it sounds nuts at the time. See, God tells us all through Scripture, all through His Word, that we, uh, uh, about how to live a serene life, how to live a, a joyful life, a peaceful life, a, a Christ-like life. And those instructions, 
that he gives us through the Bible seem absolutely ridiculous to what our culture says we should do or respond when certain things happen. So the question really comes down to, are we going to trust them or not? Are we going to trust God and his instructions or not? Now, look at Joshua again. This story gets really hilarious right now. And there's another tension. God tells, um, God tells uh, Joshua to... Get that going here. God tells God, Joshua in verse 3 to march around the city once with armed men. And he says, do it for how many days? Do it for six days. He says, march around the city with armed men for six days and have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark, which is the box that held the Ten Commandments. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout and the wall of the city will collapse. And then the army will be able to go straight in. Okay, you got that? That's what God says to Joshua. That's God's instructions to Joshua. Now look at what Joshua tells his people, because that's nuts, right? I'm not telling those guys that. This is nuts. So look at what he says instead. Look at what he says. First he calls the priests, and he says, Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. Now notice what he left out. What's he not saying? He didn't say, oh, and we're going to do that for a whole week. All right, he doesn't say that. He just says, do that. And then the next verse, then he ordered the army advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. What does he not mention? Nothing about blowing trumpets. Nothing at all. Because Joshua's a, a soldier, right? And he knows uh, soldiers. And he knows that a military guy, a soldier, does not look at a tough military objective and say, okay, let's strike up the band. That's what we got to do. Cecilia, Bailey, you take point and we're going to go, right? He doesn't do that. It would be like he doesn't picture the Salvation Army walking around into a big military offensive. That's not what this is about. That's not what they had in their heads about defeating an imperial fortress. So why does God do that? Why does he choose to do it this way? See, when I was a kid, we used to sing a song about this story. We used to sing a song about this story in Sunday school. Did you sing a song about Jericho, the Wells of Jericho in here in New Zealand? It was sung a long time ago. Like, while you were singing, you were watching dinosaurs walk by the church windows. It was like a long time ago. And, and the song would go like this. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, 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 jazz hands. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. Remember that song? It's a flat-out lie that my church had me singing as a young, impressionable boy in Sunday school a lie about Scripture and about God. It's a lie. It makes, like, it makes it sound that the wall came down because Joshua fought a battle. That's not true. That's not what happened. God dropped the wall before Joshua lifted a sword. They had nothing to do with it. The wall did not fall down because they walked. <coughs> it felt because God worked. Things don't change because we work harder. It's because God does the change. See, marching around Jericho, blowing trumpets and shouting had absolutely zero to do with the walls coming down. God did it all. 100% God did the whole thing. 
So why the march? Because it's just weird. And I think that's the point. I think that's the point. I think it was done to bring glory to God precisely because it was just so weird. It was so different because it had no chance of succeeding because it was just so offbeat. I mean, think about those Canaanites sitting up on the wall. What do you think they were thinking when they peered down the wall and saw the Disneyland marching band going around and around and around for a whole week? Think they were intimidated? Nah, they're like smirking and rolling their eyes and hailing abuse. And then by day five, they're like, these guys are nuts. And then by day seven, they're like, by six, they're like, we got to call somebody. We got to get these guys some help. And so they're not doing that. So these people are not the same like every other army that has tried to fight us. See, God is calling us to fight. He's calling us to fight our battles, but he's calling us to do it in a way that is so offbeat and so weird and so different and so unexpected that the people that are watching us up on the walls, the people that are watching us from the sidelines, watching us from our next-door neighbor fences, they just don't know what to do with us. See, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, interestingly enough, he responds to critics who were criticizing him because he wasn't being tough enough in a certain situation. And he says this. He says, Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. See, as followers of Jesus, beware of the temptation to fight God's battles with the world's weapons. See, the world's weapons are violence, yes, but it's also contempt and slander and manipulation and power plays and lies and secrets and intimidation. I, we all have been, right? Been stunned, stunned by what we have seen over the last two years with COVID, coming from Christians and pastors and churches slander and power plays and lies and intimidation all in jesus name no no see the weapons of our warfare are love and kindness and humble service of everybody you know why because that's weird that's just so different from the rest of the world it's like bringing a trumpet to a gunfight who does that? See, when we love with no strings attached, God brings walls down. That's what he does. That's when God breaks down walls. What makes walls fall around the hearts of people in Hamilton, people you live next door to, the people you work with and go to school with? It's not when you use the exact weapons that they do. It's not when you use the same words and the same rhetoric and the same tactic and the same social media posts and the same anger. No, it's when we fight different. It's when we fight like no other army that they've ever seen before. It's when we wash feet. It's when we have coffee with someone. It's inviting someone to a barbecue. It's dropping off food. It's providing babysitting for a single mom and just giving her a break. It's painting fences and pulling weeds. It's sitting down and listening to somebody with no judgment, no predetermined speech, but just being present. No other army fights with those weapons. 
that's why as part of our Facing Faithward series, we're doing this thing called Acts of Kindness. You see a little paper in your newsletter about this. And what I'm going to ask is over the next month, this, this series will go to about mid-June. Over the next month, you team up with your household, your flatmates, your family. You team up with a couple of friends. You just partner with your spouse. You do it with your life group, but you do something nice for someone. No strings attached. There's some ideas down at the bottom. No strings attached. You just go do it and watch what happens. And if you're willing, give me a call. Give me an email about it. We'll talk. And maybe it's a story that we should hear. Because you don't know what walls fall down when you blow that trumpet and just acts of kindness. See, we need good news. The world needs us to be good news. So over the next month, life groups, flatmates, homes, families, whatever, what can you do in the next five weeks? What can you do? Let me know. See, Jesus said that the, the weapon of our warfare when we deal with this, is that he goes, look, do you have enemies? He says, do you, do you have people who hate you? Do you have people who curse you? Well, then you know what you do? You love your enemies, he says. You bless those that curse you, he says. You do good for those who hate you, he says. See, trust God's instruction is wise, even when it seems nuts. We fight. Absolutely, we fight. We don't roll over and play dead for anybody. Not as followers of Jesus but we fight with love, we fight with prayer, we fight with blessing, we fight with a confidence in God, not in ourselves, because that's how walls fall down. So first, we trust the way faith works when you hit a wall. You trust that victory is certain, even though it looks like evil's winning. You trust that God's instruction is wise, even though it sounds goofy. And then finally, you trust that God's timing is perfect even though it seems like it's just taking forever, forever. I mean, look at the slide. They did this for six days. Six days they did this. Imagine you're a soldier. Joshua calls you. You go out and you march around the city once, and then you go back to your tent. You go back to the tent and you ask, hey, how was your day? And they go, well, you know, I think Joshua just wanted us to do some reconnaissance. I think that's what that was. Uh, he's clever. I think we'll take the city tomorrow. So day two comes, you go out and you march around the city once. And you go back to your tent, and they go, how was your day? And he goes, you know, it was weird. I mean, it was really weird. I think it was a dress rehearsal. I, I think it was kind of like a war game, but we're ready for tomorrow. We'll take it tomorrow. And day three, they go out and they walk around the city once. And they go back to the tents. And they, hey, how was your day? I think Joshua's crazy. I think he's just, I think he's lost it. He's just bonkers. I mean, what else are you going to say, right? How else are you going to respond to that? See, you might feel right now in your life, you're on lap two, or lap three, or lap four, and you're starting thinking, what is happening? This is crazy. Nothing's changing. How long is this going to take? I don't know how much longer I can take this. I don't know how much longer I can put up with this. I mean, I'm walking with Jesus, and I'm following Jesus, and I'm trusting Jesus, and I'm praying, and I'm praying, and I'm praying, and it's just not working. See, the issue here is that just because progress isn't obvious, it doesn't mean God's not working. I think that's the point of this story. You look at verse 15. It goes on to say, On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak, and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner. And they're like, oh man, it's another day. Same way, seven times. We'll go around seven times. As far as they know, it's just going to be another 
day of marching practice. But on the seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. Not one brick ever moved before, and then the whole wall fell. My wife, Rachel, and I were in the process of teaching Brianna how to count. She does colors. She's so far ahead of every kid when it comes to colors. <laughs> but, but numbers, yeah, she's not so good at numbers. And so we're teaching her how to count. And so we'll get things on the paper, and we're counting. And she'll go, one, two, three, four, five, six. There's a pause. Eleven, four, five, six. There's a pause. Eleven, four, five. She's nothing if not consistent. And, and we just kind of go in the circle. And I go, good job, Brianna, good job. But don't stop at six. Don't stop at six. Keep going. Seven, eight, nine. Ready? Say that with me. Seven, eight, nine. Okay, do it again. One, two, three, four, five, six, eleven. Okay, no, no, no. Don't stop at six. Don't stop at six. Don't stop at six. Don't quit. Don't quit a six. Go the whole seven rounds. What if today is just day six in your job, in your marriage, in your church, in your health, in the life of your kids, in the life of your best friend? What if it's just day six and the wall is doomed? Doomed on day seven. Because that's what happens, right? I mean, think about it. That's what happens in life. It happens with everything. That's why getting fit and getting in shape and losing weight is so hard. Every single person thinks, I'm going to just work out, I'm going to do one sit-up, and boom, six-pack, boom, boom, boom. And it doesn't work that way, right? Because if it worked like that, everybody would be that way. But it's not like that. It never happens that way. I have been walking and have been hungry for a month and I'm trying to lose weight, and I haven't lost. <laughs> I am so hungry. <laughs> and I'm losing. I'm losing nothing. But I know if I stick with it, suddenly over half the clothes in my closet will fit again. I know it'll happen. Or raising kids. I mean, man, toilet training takes forever. We're in the midst of it. It just takes forever. Or getting homework and helping your kids with the homework just takes forever. And you're like, well, it's ever in. And then all of a sudden, you're walking your daughter down the aisle at her wedding. And all of a sudden, you go, where did all the time go? See, don't give up. Keep going for all seven rounds. Don't stop at six. See, I don't know why God doesn't work the same way in every case. In, in every case of every way we, wayward child, or in the case of every case of, of, of cancer. But he didn't work the same way in every conquest of every city in the Old Testament either. He didn't heal people in the New Testament through Jesus in the same way twice. He has diverse ways of deliverance, many different ways of helping and protecting and healing and providing, because it's not about us. 
It's not about me learning a formula so that when I pray this way, God will yield. It's about me becoming reliant and dependent on the fact that this is God's battle, not mine. This is about God, not about me, not about my ability to pray the right way. See, maybe you are experiencing your worst fear ever, and the person you're praying for right now, for whatever reason, seems to have lost their battle, seems to be giving up, seems to have quit. You know, you already know what I know. God will still redeem their story. Battles will still be won because that's the promise you find all through Scripture. Look at Galatians 6. Let us not become weary of doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Don't give up. Keep on walking. You will blow the trumpet eventually. Our job is to trust. A guy by the name of Tim Keller He's a pastor, he's a scholar, he's an author. He writes this about this passage. Often we try to solve our fears of the future at the wrong end of the equation. We figure if I can only eliminate all threat, then I'd feel secure. But by that logic, the best way to live is in a plastic bubble somewhere. But you'll still have troubles even in that plastic bubble because you're human. The way to real security is different. The degree to which I trust God determines my courage as I face the future. The degree to which I trust God determines my courage as I face the future. So the question is, do you trust them? See, here's the funny thing about the name Joshua. In Hebrew, the name Joshua means the Lord saves. In Greek, and in the Greek New Testament, that exact same name Joshua is translated as Jesus. It's the same name. Hebrew and Greek. Jesus saves. It's who he is. So we trust him. And we keep trusting him. We don't stop at six. Even when you hit the wall. And we go all seven rounds. Let's pray. Father God, this stuff preaches well. But man, it's hard to live. But we're facing something that is just so hard. It's like hitting our head against a brick wall. And, and things won't change. Health won't change. Relationship won't change. Job won't change. Situation at home won't change. Situation at church won't change. Whatever it is, it's like hitting your head against a wall. God, help us to stop. Because it's not our job to knock that wall down. Instead, help us to trust and trust you enough to just be like you, to be like your son Jesus, and to live a life of kindness and love and, and, and humble service, and let the battle be fought by you. Help us to never forget that the whole story in the Bible, in church and home groups and small groups and youth ministries and young adult ministries and senior hubs and all that, it's not about us. It's about you, God. Help us to speak in a way that people hear that this is about you and your love and your outrageous graciousness and love for us. Help us to be so focused on who you are and so overt in the way we talk about you and your son Jesus that whoever walks in our midst, they just experience grace and love and forgiveness and welcome and inclusion because we're all just a beggar asking another beggar for a piece of bread. And God, you provide every time. Help us to live with that awareness and that gratitude 
and that openness to everyone because your son Jesus died for us all and rose for us all and offers forgiveness and life to us all. In Jesus' name, amen.